1: Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour. We are coming at you live. This is our opening show from Feast Portland. We are in the Heritage Radio Network podcast lounge presented by Le Creuset. If you are visiting the Big Feast today, Saturday or tomorrow, Sunday, please come and sit with us in our lounge. It's beautiful. You can have some wine. You can have some snacks. It's starting to smell really, really good here. And uh, as we are kicking things off, I want to say a huge thank you to our partners, Le Crusade, Travel Portland, Salt and Straw, and the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts for making our coverage possible. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the Executive Director of Heritage Radio Network. And today, to my left and right, we have some great friends of the network we have nate collier from le crusade welcome
2: hello hello welcome everybody
1: and we have the wonderful Gabby Dalkin. Gabby. Gabby. <laughs> Gabby. I'm going to get Hi. it right. Welcome. Gabby is a very accomplished author and uh, familiar on Heritage Radio Network. You've heard her on several of our shows. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be
3: here. Happy feast. Yeah, I'm ready. I didn't have breakfast. I'm like ready wow. to roll. You are prepared. <laughs> How has your feast week been so far? Great. I mean, we just got here last night and we did the cooking in color with Le Creuset, which was incredible. The persimmon color, which is up here, Gorgeous. super fun. Love hot pot. Yeah, yes. I mean, Nate and I sat next to each other and ate all the things and yes. shared a piece of cake. So we, we were did. Really, we really <laughs> lived our best lives. There was a
2: mishap when they cut the cake and they cut one giant piece and asked if we might. It was share the size of our heads. And we did. Like, it, it
3: was, it was delicious. huge. These things <laughs> like good problems to have. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and then they were like, "You'll never finish it," and they yeah. came back and it was gone. Yeah. and I was like, what do you you expect? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) Have you been to other events so far? No, this is my first time at Feast, and last night was my first event. All right, so so you are ready. Yeah, I'm ready to roll. I'm here all weekend. We have been
1: feasting our faces. I'm kind of in recovery, but I'm also like, am I hungry? (laughs) Um, We've been at uh, East versus West Coast, and then last night we were at Night Market, and we've also been, like, going out for a lot of meals just in between because we're like, hey, we're in Portland, and we have to go to all these yeah. restaurants. Um, so we have been doing our exercises, and we're ready to You're walking. All day. Where have you eaten? Um, gosh, we had a really great lunch at Tasty and Alder the mm-hmm. other day, and that is across the street and in the same restaurant group as Shalom Y'all. The and, of course, we saw that, and we were like, well, now we have to go over there. <laughs> so then we had lunch at Shalom Y'all, which was delicious. They had this incredible special that was like a... Of roasted peach with some salty goat cheese and hazelnuts and spicy honey. Yum. It's really good. Um, where else have we been? Have you We've been, been to, to Tusk? Um, have I been to Tusk? Not this trip. Next. But I have been. Next. Yeah. So next wonderful. Time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it has been, uh, so far, like, quick Lots of meals, Jam did. Also, like, at the after parties, like, we were at Saxon Wieners last night, and Chris Cosentino was making these, like, insane hot dogs that had cheese and sautéed onions and um, something that was salty and crunchy that I couldn't figure out what it was until I finally, like, unwrapped the foil a little bit and realized that there were Fritos on this hot dog that was it. loaded yeah. with all this other
3: stuff you guys we have really terrible jobs yeah i know <laughs> it's really hard um so what's the hardest thing about being a food writer oh my gosh um i'm ugh, i mean this sounds terrible but i i've been i've been on like a vendor the last week i did like a charity golf tournament i've just been eating i don't remember what hunger feels like which is truly <laughs> terrible yeah um But I love my job. I feel so lucky that I get to create recipes and meet people and go out for incredible meals. There's there's no downsides.
1: (laughs) You have two cookbooks that you've authored and
3: another one on the way, right? Yes. Can you tell us about the new book? The third one? Yeah. Well, sure. I think so. I mean, I don't know. No one's told me not to. <laughs> it. Um, it. comes out next spring, uh, uh, April 28th to be exact. And the title is TBD, but it's pretty much going to... I feel like this world revolves around like you're either keto or you're gluten free or you're this or you're that. And I understand that if you have like actual food restrictions. But otherwise, I think people should just really eat what they want. And so the book is a celebration of that. And you can do it all and do it in balance, and mm-hmm. there's everything from breakfast, lunch, and dinner, to snacks, to cocktails, to dinner party menus, the whole nine yards, all within, you know, the what's got cooking, California girl umbrella. I, yeah.
2: I couldn't agree more with your philosophy on that, too, and I know it's a gray area, because some people do need to stick to those things, sure. but I feel like a lot of times people then turn eating into a non-enjoyable experience, because they're worried about tracking everything right. or what they have, and... Um, and I don't like that. I like to enjoy what I eat. Yeah, so like I we, wholeheartedly agree. We
3: should have permission to be able to do whatever we want and whatever makes you feel good. Right. Like I don't, I don't really, I think we all kind of do intuitive eating without thinking about it. Like I think the word intuitive is sometimes a little scary to some people, but like you eat whatever is going to, you know, if you want pasta and you need carbs, you have some carbs. Right. Never say no to a hard carb. Right.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. So what's got to be cooking is an appreciation of California cuisine do you think that there is sort of an old guard California cuisine and a new California cuisine? Or has it been like, is there a morphology to what is becoming of California cuisine?
3: Yeah, well I, well, I mean, I think Alice Waters is just like the most incredible human on the planet. And she started what I think, it, what I like associate with California cuisine. But I feel like the way I took it is more about... Yes, you're eating fresh, you're eating what's in season, everything's colorful, but you're also, you know, just letting food shine. Like, I don't mess with a lot of ingredients. Like, if I'm, if, right, we just got back from the farmer's market here at PSU, and like, if I had a flat of peaches in the car, which I do, like, I'm not going to do any, I'm not going to make <laughs> them does. into, like, foam or anything like that. Like, I just want them to speak for themselves. So that, and also, like, I think in Calif- in my world of California food, I don't take anything too seriously. So, my recipes are easy and you, you're never going to be intimidated. Yeah.
1: What would you do if you drove home with a flat of peaches right now?
3: I mean, I would make a peach caprese salad and then maybe like toss some into like a galette and then eat some raw. And maybe if some were going a little too soft, I'd make peach fruit leather. Mm. You know.
2: Where can I find that recipe?
3: Fruit leather? Yeah. TBD, I haven't okay. done it yet. It just came to my mind.
2: Because I <laughs> love it. I,
3: I need a fruit dehydrator. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Nate, you're a
1: cook, too. What, what would you do with your flood of peaches? I mean,
2: this is um, kind of, um, a, it's not really a cop-out, but I was telling um, Gabby last night at dinner, my grandparents um, lived in Salem, Oregon, um, you know, 45-ish minutes south of here. We would come every summer. And the first time I ever had real peaches was from a roadside stand in Oregon, in this area, and my grandmother just sliced them and put fresh cold whole cream on top of them. And I probably sprinkle a little bit of salt on top of it now, but like not knowing what that would do with it back then, I still have a very vivid memory of that. and. Like Gabby said, if they were great peaches, you don't need to do too much with them. And that's okay. I want people to feel comfortable that yeah. they don't have to dress it up. You know?
3: Do you yeah. travel with your own little tin of Maldon sea salt?
2: I don't, but I do have some we of those should. little tins at home. <laughs> we should, we yeah. should both
1: start that. <laughs> My sister and I have been working on our kind of like purse condiments kits. Yeah. Do you have one?
3: <laughs> or what kits? Like purse condiments? Oh. Like the Maldon
1: tins? The I little mean, hot sauce?
3: I, I what's do, in your kit? I don't, but if I were to put one together, it would be Maldon sea salt, Sir, sir Kensington's ketchup, And, like, that's probably it. Like, those okay. are the two most important things in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would be in yours? Definitely the salt. Yeah. Um, also, Jacobson. We have to give a shout-out oh, right. to the yeah. local uh, amazing
1: salt people. They have an adorable tin, yep. too. So that's actually yeah. what is oh, in my purse is chocolate. the Jacobson
3: tin. I and mean, chocolate tin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, a purse
1: chocolate. Yeah, that, yeah. that goes without saying. That's yeah. separate from the um, <laughs> <Accruzure> mall. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> that's its own category. <laughs> I have some in my bag right now that I picked up at the and I just, like, saw a bowl of chocolate bars and in case like of bar. emergency yeah right it is very important to have this
2: <laughs> um, so for sure salt um, probably some Spanish olive oil and um, either Aleppo or um, Espalette pepper those okay. three and this is so funny I don't want to so you're
1: basically cooking yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those <laughs> things gonna, I could like, never co- live
2: without. But yeah. I don't want to digress and get into it. But this is so funny. I've had a conversation with people on two different occasions um, of a party game of if your fingers were condiment guns, what five things would <gasps> you have, and those were the only ones you could have for the rest of your life. That's a great what would they be? Game. And there's a there's a full spectrum of answers, and then side arguments on uh, what actually constitute a condiment. Versus a garnish or something else. That's a better
3: game than. Play play that game
2: at home, everybody. It's fun.
3: (laughs) We are 100% playing this after the show. Yeah, and that's better than playing who would you have dinner with, dead or alive. Like, that's way more complex. It's it's, it's
1: harder. (laughs) This is so exciting. Okay, I can't wait. Um, Party (laughs) games after this. Um, I wanna talk about color because California cuisine is all about. Fresh ingredients and beautiful, colorful ingredients. And I also think Le Creuset is absolutely all about color. And um, how, I guess, Gabi, I'll start with you and just ask you know, as you're thinking about composing recipes for your blog or for books, how are you thinking about colors in sort of the recipes coming together.
3: Yeah, it's a huge part of it actually. It's really interesting. If you look at my website, you'll you'll very rarely see something that's all brown. Like if I'm gonna do a grilled piece of meat, there's going to be some sort of salsa verde or like a chopped fruit salsa or something on top just because from a visual perspective, you want it to be, you want it to be colorful. A, that's going to perform really well on Instagram. B, that's how we all eat with our eyes. Mm-hmm. And also we think about color when we're propping everything out. Like I work with a team, Matt Armanderas is my food photographer and Adam Pearson's my food stylist. We have like all the La Crusade at the studio and other than like napkins and all these different things and you want to bring complementary colors into the photo to make it really appealing because people have so many options of what to make. They're gonna pick what looks the prettiest. Yeah. You know? So color is a huge part of my world.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I totally agree. People, you know, eat with their eyes first. That's not just a saying. It's absolutely the, you know, first thing that your first thought process is going to come from what the food looks like so not only does it have to look appetizing from a texture standpoint but the color plays a huge role in that um and not necessarily to mean like plating so perfectly to take away from what the dish actually is and i think your food style doesn't do that at all i think it's right on but i think it's it's not about like you know creating a masterpiece or a palette it's being true to what the food is and what people think it should taste like um and then of course what it says about you and so you know if you look at different people's we're obviously a very visual culture now look at people's different feeds you can recognize people's style um and pick it out and i'm i'm sure you feel the same way you have your own style and it says something about them and same with the cookware you know we you know, not only do we have really beautiful colors, but we have enough for people to pick something that says something about them and they have a relationship with it, so it's hugely important.
1: Yeah. And and thinking about, you know, sort of coming at food from a visual perspective has been a big part of your career. Um, Can you talk about, you're a culinary school graduate, can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about how you kind of emerged from culinary school, what was your path to food writing?
3: Yeah, so I went to culinary school just out of college, really on a whim. I was doing it to avoid getting another job. (laughs) I had no intention of going into the food world afterwards, but I started my blog and I started working as a private chef during culinary school. And so when I finished and graduated... I just stayed. Like I stayed working as a private chef, which was the income, and I started and what's got to Be Cooking was chugging along making twelve cents a day. So like that was just for fun. Rolling <laughs> my mom, who's here, was the only person that commented on my site for like years. <laughs> um, and so it was what's got to be cooking just slow rolled for seven I guess that was eight or nine years ago. Um, And it morphed, I I quit personal chefing eventually, and it morphed into like one cookbook and then two cookbooks, and I started working with brands on different collaborations. I have a line of products sold at Williams-Sonoma. You know, like I write food guides to cities. Like I, I wouldn't say like I'm a classic food writer, like I'm not writing for the Times or anything like that, but I feel like I'm making food accessible for my audience and bringing them into my world and giving, and like letting them not be intimidated by the kitchen yeah did that then, answer so, the question absolutely yeah okay. and the role of the classic food writer is changing yeah for and it's, sure you
1: know some would say maybe going away a little bit and and there's a lot more of the sort of hustling across like many different types of media and looking at um, you know food writing is now not just about writing memoirs and essays that's still important and it's still, you know, being done really well, but there are so many other forms of content, sort of, that are um, necessary now to kind of make a living in the field. Yeah, and
3: it changes all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. we, uh, for What's got Be Cooking, we used to do a weekly Snapchat show on Fridays at noon when Snapchat was still a thing, and then when IG Stories and IG Live came out, my audience was vastly bigger over there, so I hopped, I switched over, and now we do, like, a live cooking show every Monday night at 6 p.m. and in like there's there's you're you're just always creating content whether that's in visual, video, writing, whatever it is. It's it's a ever-changing job. Yeah. <laughs> so as podcasters, we are often sitting
1: behind a microphone and unlike today when we actually are, you know, have an audience that we can see, we are putting everything out online. You don't necessarily see who you're interacting with but you are so active on social media. How, how important is it to you to sort of know and get feedback from your audience, and how much do you feel like you kind of know who is on the receiving end of the content? It's so, it's,
3: A, it's so important. Like, it's a huge part of my job. Also, it's my most favorite part of my job to speak to everyone. I respond to every single DM that I get. I get to meet people at events like Feast or at dinner, at the Cooking Color last night, dinner. I mixed up those words, but you get what I meant. Um, <laughs> like it's it's so important. I can tell you exactly who my audience is. I'm either your friend, your daughter, or your granddaughter, and I can tell you how. Like I can tell you people's spending habits. It, it's very interesting, and it's something I care a lot about because it's really helpful when we're figuring out what to call a book, what product to come out with next, what brands to partner with. Those are all things that play into those decisions. Yeah. So
2: I have a question about that too that I was yeah. thinking about, and I think. Um, it's awesome. I mean, because we do that as a brand too. I mean, you want to interact with the people that want to interact with you and it's authentic. And I think you've created this really authentic relationship by being true to who you are. But specifically from like a recipe side... All of the feedback that you get on your recipes of what worked and didn't work, how much of that influences you when you're like, for say, writing your third book? Did did you take a different approach? Did you? How consciously do you think about what they're gonna say about yeah. your recipes?
3: Yeah, it's actually really interesting. So so the most re- most popular recipe for my last book was the chicken larb bowl, which was just like a sleeper hit. I had no idea it would be so popular and so because of that and because I saw so many people making it on their Instagrams and social media for the last year and a half, we did a whole new section in this book that's all very much bowl and kind of international influenced food. Um, and then I forgot what the second part I was going to say to that question, but
2: I mean it, it it makes sense to me. I just um I wonder how how you balance you know your voice versus you know conforming to the feedback of the crowd so to speak
3: it's it's interesting i mean there's one of my top fans on facebook currently hates chicken and she comments on everything i post with chicken and she's like if you post one more chicken recipe i'm leaving she's probably listening hi marie Um, and i just but i also know that chicken's gonna perform really well like and people love it and there are all these moms that are trying to get dinner on the table Um, we also test all my recipes four or five times before anything goes live with me and my recipe testers. So I know I'm not going to get a lot of bad feedback so I can avoid that. It's mostly like we need more meals under 20 minutes or stuff like that. You're sort of maybe speaking to my next
1: question and maybe there (laughs) isn't one, but what have you had a really controversial recipe that surprised you?
3: Mom? A really controversial recipe that surprised me. My mom pays really close attention to these things. I thought maybe she would know. no, like nothing bad. Like I haven't had any like real mishaps or anything. Yeah. I have a recipe called slutty brownies on my website, which is like kind of controversial just because of the name. Um, so people like name it other things when they're making for their five-year-old kids because they're not trying for Are their... Are those
2: the grandmothers and not the friends of yeah, your group? The,
3: yeah, <laughs> the moms and the grandmas. And they're like, we call them naughty brownies. I'm like, you do you. Full oh, support. whatever you want. They're <laughs> delicious brownies. You've got some praise hands from mom and back. Oh, what about it? Oh, my mom's cucumber salad was in the cookbook and it's literally the easiest recipe in the entire world. It's like cucumbers, avocados, and a balsamic vinaigrette and hundreds if not thousands of people have made it. So also not controversial, but very surprising. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> Do you have um, like traditional, or sort of traditional to your family recipes
3: Yeah, that, I try, that you kind of publish without modification? Definitely in the books. Like I try and dedicate a recipe in the book to everyone in my family. Like I have something from my Omi and my Papa, my mom, my grandma, my dad, Matt and Adam, my photographers, Thomas, this is a secret, I shouldn't say this, but my husband has a whole chapter in this next book. It's called so easy Thomas Can Do It. <laughs> because one time Thomas started his own Instagram account called What's Thomas Eating to make fun of me. And he made scrambled eggs in the microwave once and people were appalled, including me. Like, Did they blow up? No, but one of my girlfriends texting me. She's like, Nine one one, like go home. Like things are bad. Like things are dark in your kitchen. And so and so I don't remember where I was going with that, no. but but they're so easy that Thomas. Yes, make thank them. you, thank you. Yes, Th- even Thomas can make these recipes. I <laughs> wow, I look forward to that. That's pretty exciting. I
1: have a husband who doesn't cook really much.
3: Well, and, Thomas can uh, teach him to make scrambled eggs now. That's yeah, one if he thing can do he it knows. in the microwave, he probably
1: will.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, people must go to you a lot for advice on becoming a food blogger or a food writer. Yes. Does this happen all the time?
3: All the time. I can tell you every single one of. Like, most acquaintances from high school have now tried to start a food or fashion blog in some sense and quit with very quickly afterwards. What are the top reasons that they quit? Well, I think people look at food blogging and think, A, oh, you make decent money and it looks like so much fun. You're out, like, doing all these cool things. You get to work with amazing brands. But I don't think they realize how much work actually goes into it and that I haven't taken it, most people haven't taken it. I mean, I personally haven't taken a day off in, like, seven years. We were in Patagonia earlier this year with my family and we were like hiking some crazy eight hour hike. And I was emailing Margo from William Sonoma about something I need, like whatever. Like I just, you don't stop. You don't turn off. You don't have people working for you. So you're always, you're always on. Right. So that's probably the biggest reason people quit is because of the time commitment. And it's not, it's also not an overnight thing. It took me probably 6 years for what's got to be cooking to churn enough of an income to walk away from private chefing and feel not terrified to go to bed every night that I wasn't going to have any money in my bank account the next day.
1: Do you think people should talk more about those terrified feelings that they feel?
3: Yeah, I mean I think it's so it's any business, right? When you start nothing's going to be a success overnight. But food blogging, especially when you're not with a team and you don't have all these other, you know, support groups around you, it's it's a little harder, I think. Have you had mentors in the space for yourself? Um, I've had, I don't know if I've had mentors in the space. Ree from the Pioneer Woman's been like an incredible role model to me. And, but I've surrounded myself with a really incredible team. Like Matt, my food photographer, and Adam, my food stylist, and my whole family at Williams Sonoma. Like we have such a like great synergy about us. It's yeah. been really, it's helpful when you're growing a business. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And do you, do you give advice for kind of fledgling food bloggers? Yeah. What are your, like, top advice pieces that you give out?
3: Um, don't start it for the money because that will take you a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, B, figure out what your voice is. Like, for for the first couple years of What's Got Be Cooking, I couldn't tell you what my brand was because I was just figuring it out. And that's okay, but eventually you have to figure out who you are and what you stand for and make your like you're the only person who can tell your story so figure it out figure out what you want to say and then and then do it yeah so those are my top two pieces of advice thank you and take photos in natural light that's no no artificial like outside, lighting outside, Yeah. or like or by yeah. a window okay <laughs> you don't want any artificial lighting if you can avoid it okay
2: and taste your food
3: yeah true oh. to make sure your recipes work
2: <laughs> 100% uh,
1: nobody has to remind me to eat the food while i'm cooking Same. it but yeah i think it's like taste it and leave enough that you can plate it yeah. okay. plate after. <laughs> make extra to taste uh, do you do a lot of iphone photography you um, give tips
3: on iphone photography um so i don't shoot a lot of my own photos in studio anymore because i have my team but i do when i'm out in the field like last night i was shooting my own photography and so my biggest tips are a when in doubt go overhead B, find a great window and, like, use as much natural light as possible. And C, try and, you know, move around and find find the prettiest dish or prettiest angle or something. Like, find something that's colorful. Last night was great because everything was in the persimmon la Crusade, so it was like you yeah. couldn't take a bad picture if you tried. Um, so so
1: that that kind of leads me into something I wanted to ask both of you about because it is getting to be... Coming into holiday season, your new book is not going to be out quite yet, but um, there are some beautiful Le Creuset colors. Um, Are there some Le Creuset items that you would recommend for holiday gifting and also, um, you know, for people who are getting into food Instagrams or food blogging, um, like some styling pieces that you would really recommend? Uh,
3: Nate, you go first.
2: Uh, everything. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you have to be, um, especially if you're doing it for photography, conscious of scale. And so we offer lots of smaller things that are easier to get in photos and style. But, um, you know, uh, know what your setting is. We have a lot of colors that can match to your kitchen and to your style. And like gabi said, too, I mean, it's about your... If you are doing it for pictures to represent yourself, you want it to fit your style and express your personal style. So just make sure you're sticking true to that. Um, but I mean, round Dutch oven, you can't go wrong with little mini cocottes with pops of color. You can't go wrong with a um, lot of things in there to work with.
1: I love this idea of scale and, you know, maybe not starting your collection with a bunch of enormous items um, that are going to take a ton of food to fill that you might not be cooking in that volume when you're cooking at home for yourself or your sort of small family um gabby what would be some gabby I, what would be some of your? yours Sorry. i
3: agree with nate even the small dutch ovens feed mm-hmm. a lot of people totally like yeah. you couldn't serve like a probably a family of six to eight mm-hmm. in a small dutch oven of super or chili or something like that yeah um yeah i mean i love all of it I can't, you can't, I can't, I'm trying to pick a favorite. Oh, this, the, the round braziers. Yeah. Those are, those are clutch for the holidays because you can do, like, you could do a chili in it. You could do some sort of, I'm trying to look and talk at the same time. It's a problem.
2: And um, last night too, we had the lid flipped over, balancing on the knob with the raw ingredients to go into the hot pot. It was just a really cool setup. You can get creative out there. Yeah. Um, Uh, We baked a pot pie crust on an inverted lid on top of the Dutch oven in the oven at the same time so it didn't get soggy sitting on top of the filling. So then you
1: kind of flip it over. I mean,
2: you you do have to take it out of the oven, take the upside down lid off of the oven itself, but then you just slide the crispy crust right on top.
1: That is
0: It's not soggy. Mm.
2: Have fun. That's, that's basically where I'm going with it. Ha, <laughs> have fun and do what you want. Don't worry too much about what other people are going to think yeah. about it.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, we talked a little bit about this before, but like all one color, mix of colors, you do you. What's your kitchen, Nate?
2: Everything. All of it. Uh, everything. Um, when we first started, it was a lot of blue, and then everything else came in. We were talking about it last night. If I started over, I would probably go with a neutral um, oyster or love the williams French gray, too. Um, and lots of pops of color around that. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, don't be afraid to mix it, mix it up and match it up a little bit.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are just about out of time for our first segment. I want to say a huge thank you to Nate Callier and Gabby Dalkin for joining us today on Heritage Radio Network on tour. Thanks for awesome. having Awesome. Thanks,
2: Katie. This was fun.
1: Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your feast weekend. We are just at the very beginnings here, so a lot of things Game time. to eat and drink. <laughs> we are going to be here both days, all day, live broadcasting. Huge thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network on tour presented by Le Crusade. Thanks again to our additional supporters, Travel Portland, Salt and & Straw, and the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts for making our coverage possible. We'll be back soon after a short break.